0: Well, look in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1. Sure hope you bring a Bible to church. Hope you read it every day. It makes a, a difference in our life. Philippians 1.6 is where we'll go in just a moment. I'm happy to be back with you. My wife and I were on vacation a couple weeks and uh, first week with some doctor visits. And last week I got to get away at a cabin and just kind of rest a bit. But we are delighted to be home. This is our home. We're, this is a calling here. It's not a job for us, but uh, Texarkana, this area, this region, not the building. But you the people, we are sharing a journey together as a spiritual family And we're delighted to be back It would have been a great time for you to say we're glad you're back or amen or something Because you're stuck with me, I mean that's just the way it is I'm going to show you a little video, I'm going to start a new series today And I want to start with this little video, called, What Does God Look Like? So take a little peek at this and uh, then we'll be in Philippians 1-6 Ever wondered what God looks like? I know I have I know as far back as I can remember I've wondered, but I've never been satisfied with where it got me. I've thought of God as an old man, a nice grandfather figure, but one who's a tad fragile, not someone who can defend me when I'm threatened. I have feared him as a strict principle, an ever-present policeman who was always nagging on me and just waiting to thumb me as the guy who did it. I once considered him to be my good luck charm. All I had to do was call on him and. Hopefully he would come serve me and give me what I want, my own personal genie in a bottle. I even pictured him as an absent landlord, someone I have to pay rent to, and frankly, probably someone who has a lot better things to do than bother with me. And I've imagined him other ways, but all my images of God are just too small. Well, who is God? Not just who I think he is, but who is he? And as important, what does that mean to me? It's relevance in my life. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. A new series starting today called God Is. God Is, and each week we'll kind of fill in the blank. Each week we'll look at some of the character. We'll look at the attributes. We'll look at the priorities. We'll look at what the Bible reveals to us about God. Let me know if we want to figure out who He is, what's important to Him. Let me know we don't just take majority opinion. We don't just go to the scientist or the politician. Let me know we look into the Word of God to the Bible and see its revelation about who God is to us. Uh, This morning, the first message is called uh, The Unseen Hand. It's a message about God's sovereignty, which simply means this. God is in absolute control of everything. God is in ultimate control. It doesn't mean that God is a, we're like puppets, that we don't have choice. But it simply means that the, the dominant force in the earth that is moving everything towards a predetermined end is God Himself. He is in control. He is sovereign. Now, this unseen hand we're going to talk about today is not just ethereal. It's not just some broad theology. But I'm going to do my best to make it very practical and relevant to your life as well. Because God is not just in control of everything. How I many know He is ultimately in control of my life? He is ultimately the sovereign over my life. And that is good news. Our text for the day is Philippians 1.6. Paul the Apostle writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like you to read the entire verse with me out loud. Paul the Apostle said this. He said, and let's say it. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now leave that on the screen just a minute, and I want you to think about what it says. Paul writing under, the again, the inspiration of the Spirit, he says, I'm very positive about this. Take this to the bank with you. God is the one that started your Christian journey, and God is the one that will bring it to completion. Let that settle in your hearts today, my friends. Today you are a Christian not just because of you. There was a partnership. You're not a robot. God is not, you know, you're not just responding without free will. We're going to talk about how these dynamics work together. But you were brought to this place of Christ, you that know Jesus as your Savior. Uh, I mean, how could you not be moved by what you saw in the waters of baptism today? A, A family committing their lives to Christ, rejoicing in one another, recognizing that that's the missing thing in life is that God is the center of our life. Well, the Bible teaches us very clearly that we came to God not just because we figured it out, not just because we made a decision, but God revealed Himself. The Bible says God gave us faith to be saved. Faith comes by By hearing and hearing the Word of God. The Bible speaks of God granting the gift of repentance leading to life. So God literally gave us the faith to be saved. He fostered repentance in our hearts. And the cool thing is God convicted us of our sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He literally wooed us and drew us to God. So at some point, you didn't just say, now this is the most rational response to life, is to that there is a God, and He is Jesus, and, and all the Christian message, but that God revealed Himself, and I simply said yes. Now, my saying yes is crucial, because as I'll teach you today, when I say that God is sovereign in absolute control, that doesn't mean that He, 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 he controls everything, because He has given men and women free will to choose But the third element in the mix is there's also a demonic side. Satan is real, and Satan is the third force in the earth that is involved in this. So I'm going to try to explain God, the sovereign God, the unseen hand, with an understanding that God is ultimately in control, but yet Satan interferes and messes things up, and we as human beings are affected in the middle. We have free will and free choice. So let's explain it. The title of the message is The Unseen Hand, and I want to begin with you, Acts chapter 4. And I want to talk about these three main forces that influence life. If you want to develop a biblical worldview, if you want to develop a philosophy of life that is consistent with what the Bible teaches about how everything works, and I will suggest to you everything in life can be traced to these three sources that I'll speak to you about. Every activity, every action, uh, every, every event in life is somehow connected to the influence of God, the influence of Satan, or the free will, the choices and the action of, men, of mankind. Now let's first talk about God. How does God work? Well, now clearly, God works through direct action. We look, how, how did this world get here, the planets get here? Well, God created the heavens and the earth. God works through miracles, a miracle that you read about in the Bible, something that's supernatural. God works maybe in your life in that same fashion. How many know when the Holy Spirit gives you direction, how many know God is involved? So when I say God is directly doing things, I don't mean that God used to do things. God is doing things today. Didn't Jesus say that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth? Doesn't that imply that God is leading us? He's directing us. He's guiding us. When God answers a prayer, there's some direct involvement. But God doesn't only uh, involve himself directly like that. God also works through laws and processes. So what do you mean? The law of gravity. Now, someone told me yesterday as we talked about the earth as it rotates on its axis at the equator, uh, someone's figured out that it's rotating 1,000 miles an hour is what they said. Now, I didn't verify that myself, but it's pretty fast. Now, you remember playing on the playground? You're on the merry-go-round, and what's the goal? It's to see how many kids you can sling off the merry-go-round. Now, I don't know how fast it's going, but let's say five miles an hour, maybe ten. But the goal is to whip those kids off. Well, we're spinning pretty fast, and God created the law of gravity. Aren't you glad for the law of aerodynamics when you fly what is that? That is, mankind understood what makes that bird hang up in the air and not fall to the ground. And he designed an airplane and that airplane suspends itself in the air and it defies the law of gravity. God is the one that's behind that and every process on the earth. Every law that functions that you and I live by. And how about processes? How did we get here as people? Well, scientists have revealed and uncovered that the fact that an egg from the woman and a sperm from a man unite together on the head of a pin and have a predetermined DNA code that made you the person that you are today. You're not some product of haphazard evolution. It is very deliberate. There's a creative hand of God that's on your life. And God is the behind the process. Now, we live in a world today where scientists have been able to explore life inside the womb. We know when the child's heart begins to beat. We know when the child begins to interact in the womb. And we know the process. And sadly, because science has taught us the process, they've told us God is not behind it. Can I tell you, we've missed it just as much we have lost the glory of God when we see a flower bloom, when we see the seasons change, when we see the sun in the morning. How many know God is behind all these things? So God is involved in the earth. He is the great sovereign force in the earth. He works through processes, through laws, through direct intervention. And the Bible tells us He does many things through the hands of angels that live behind the curtain in the unseen world. Now let me give you some scriptures that talk about this. Acts 4 verse 24 The disciples here experiencing persecution. Where do you think that came from? The other force that's in the earth, Satan himself. They're being persecuted, and and this is the way they prayed. They said, the Most High is sovereign. Isn't that a cool way to pray? God, you are the most powerful force in the earth. You are the source of all power and all authority over all the kingdoms on earth, and you give them to anyone you wish. Now, now I'm sorry, uh, that was Daniel. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So the starting place for their prayer was the all power from the Almighty God. Uh, uh, sovereignty, again, by definition, it means that God possesses absolute power and authority. God is in ultimate control. Now when you look out at the future in life, uh, I've got to be honest with you, if I dwell too much just on what I see and what I read and what I hear, it's scary. When you look at actuarial tables, for, I don't care if it's Medicare, I don't care if it's Social Security, if you look at the decreasing number of physicians that are going to be available when our new health care system comes in place, on the front page of our paper today, it's been out there a number of months now, and you look into the future health care, you see socialized medicine in places like Canada, you see Cuba. Why do you think people want to come to America? Because we've had the greatest health care in the world. But listen now, there is in the heart of man, not just in America, but leaders around the world, Russia, uh, Great Britain, and guess what they're all talking about? A one world government. They're talking about a new world order. Well, everything is moving towards that, but I want to tell you, God is ultimately in control, and God is the one that ultimately sets the order and plans. Now, the Bible says in Daniel 4.25, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. This is a powerful verse. It's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a pagan man. He He was not a believer. He was a secular person, and basically God used this man. He was involved in the discipline of the nation of Israel, and he thought he was somebody. He thought it was all about him. And he got this huge ego complex, and finally God said, I'm going to take you down, buddy, until you realize I'm the one that's in charge. You look around at our world today. Uh, I don't care if it's a, a Nancy Pelosi, a Harry Reid calling the vote on immigration tomorrow. Uh, these people in positions of power, whether you like them or dislike them is not the issue. They are either there because God put them there for the, what they're doing or in spite of what they're doing. But God uses people. And this should humble us to make us realize it's not because of my education, it's not because of my money, not because of my experience, come on now, but it's because of God, the sovereign God, the unseen hand that's directing my life. Uh, Job said this, Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes His lightning flash? God is the one behind these great events. Um, Powerful verse in Acts 17. God began by making one person, and who is that? It was Adam. God made Adam from the dust of the earth. He breathed into him the breath of life. And from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. One man created supernaturally, but I suggest to you, it is just as supernatural for the process of conception to birth, come on, the way that God puts people on the planet. And rather than having understood it, now we explain God away, we should marvel at His work so God did this he made Adam he made all people but notice this next phrase God decided exactly when and where they must live so as we try to understand the sovereign God I don't believe God's sovereignty implies that God decided this morning that I was going to wear black shoes he might have had something to do with it because I have an wit foot and I can't find any brown ones so I don't know if I'm gonna blame that on God or not but, but God didn't, didn't, didn't manipulate me like Geppetto manipulated the, the puppet Pinocchio in every little circumstance of life. But at some point in the big picture, God determined that I would be born in 1957. That's not old. In 1957, <laughs> he, he determined that I'd be a white guy and a guy, white and I'd be a guy. He determined that I'd be born in a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. God was behind these things. And the starting place of self-acceptance is not looking in the mirror and said, boy, you're a good person, like modern psychology says. You are great. The starting place is to realize that my life is created by the hand of God. The Bible says that before one day came to pass, my life was written in a book. God is the one that is deliberate behind it. Listen to me, friend. Your life is not an accident. You're not here just paying taxes and, you know, sucking air until you figure out something fun to do. Your life has purpose. See, the, the message of evolution, uh, evolution said basically uh, nothing created everything for no reason. i tell you, friends, it's a miserable exib- existence. Baby boomers are committing suicide by the thousands. Listen, because they they, they've been taught that God's not a part of the human equation. I'm come to, I've come to tell you today that God has purpose for your life. You see, and this is the starting place. This is the starting place of understanding that God is the one that's behind who I am. And when I come to acceptance of that, whether, it, whether it's my sexual orientation, listen now, that God created me as a man or He created me as a woman. The color of my skin, God didn't make a mistake. You know, if God would have wanted me to be a professional football player, He'd have made me 6'6 and I'd have weighed 275. Come on, and I'd have been perpetually young. And when you can accept God's hand, it's the beginning of happiness. Now, I want you to listen to these next few moments. I think this is the, the crux of the whole message today. The Bible says that God has a master plan that started before Genesis 1-1 and will go beyond the last verse of the book of Revelation. Here's what His plan is. Here's the answer to everything. Here is the great why. Why am I here? Why am I on this planet? Listen, God has been preparing a people to spend eternity with Him who love Him. God wants people to make a free will choice that having looked at evil in the world and they've looked to God, they've said, I choose you. And God said, I'll prepare a place for all eternity. That's what's going on behind the curtain. That's where the unseen hand is leading us. But let me tell you, today is a very feeble attempt. This whole series is a feeble attempt on my part to explain to you who God is because I've got to be honest, I'm lost after the first four words of the Bible. Say it with me. In the beginning, God. Now, I understand beginnings, but what this teaches us is this teaches us is that there was a point when time started. Prior to that, it was something called eternity. After time is over in the book of Revelation, eternity will go forwards, and God has always existed. The Bible describes God as the one who was and is and is to come, He's all my, you lose me right there. Everything, I, my whole frame of reference for understanding is bound by some time-space continuum. Everything has a beginning and an end. Everything is contextualized in my life. Before God created the heavens and the earth, there was nothing. I cannot conceive of nothing. Now, if this room was emptied of chairs and emptied of the stage, you say it's empty, there's nothing in it. Yeah, well, in it, in the building that's around us. But what was here before there was no earth, there was no Saturn, there was no moon? What was here before the Milky Way was not here and our universe was not here? And the billions of universes? It just was not. And I'm lost. But can I tell you, as we get some glimpses into His character, it should encourage us. Because this God, who's working towards a predetermined course, began a good work in me, listen, and He will bring it to completion if I'll just say yes. And when I say no, if I will quickly say yes again, he'll help me keep going down the road. Now listen, there is a tension, though, between God's actions, people's choices, and Satan's interference. You cannot say that God is behind, God's doing everything. God does not kill people with tornadoes. Isn't it amazing that the insurance company will call a tornado an act of God, and they won't pay for an act of God? I would suggest to you biblically, the Bible says Satan is the one who came to kill. steal, kill, and destroy. So when this is where we get confused. Where is God? What's my role? And if I'm not a puppet, if I choose, but God lets me choose, but he's... I'm telling you, I get a little bit lost, but I'm going to try to convey some of that this morning. Let's talk about this second great force in the earth, Satan himself, the devil. He's been a force in the earth since Adam and Eve messed things up. Satan influences people primarily through temptation and sin. He influenced Ju- Judas over a handful of silver coins to betray Christ. He influenced Ananias in the book of Acts to lie to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Satan, is, 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 is he, he, he can control nature. In the book of Job, as we've been reading, Job, remember, he, Satan sent a wind and it destroyed the house and killed Job's kids. Satan is not in control of all nature, but somehow he can control nature. Satan will uh, wage war against God's people. Spiritual warfare, persecution, uh, a hindrance of answered prayer. You know, in the book of Daniel, a prayer answer was prayed three weeks ago. The answer was coming, but the Bible says there was war in heaven between a heavenly prince and a demonic prince. So we've got God, and we've got the devil, and we've got us in the middle. And God has given us the power of free will and free choice. It makes us different than the angels in heaven and different from the animals and plant life. In that sense, we're created in the image of God. And God is looking for people to say yes to Him. Now, I'm going to illustrate this morning. We found somebody that's gonna, going to uh, uh, represent the devil and somebody that's going to represent God. So if my two characters can come on up here, give them a big hand as they're getting ready to go. Now, in case you were wondering, how many thinks this looks like the devil? Well, it doesn't, let me tell you. It's the best we could do today. This is what the world kind of tells us, red guy, ponytail, and hell. But the Bible says Satan is like an angel of light. He's masquerading. And what that means, when, 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 when he wants you to commit adultery, he doesn't do it by the promise of destruction of your family. He just sends a cute guy in your life, come on, that's going to be the answer to all your dreams. And it's an angel of light that Satan's behind. And if you've wondered what God looks like, this, uh, this is not him, okay? <laughs> Th- this is the best spirit-filled replica we- we've got here. What-, what-, what is this? This is my glory. Your glory, huh? That's my the glory. best you can do for your glory. All right. I'm going to illustrate this. If this is God and this is Satan, I'm Job. I want you to think of the life of Job in parallels in our world. First of all, Job got to this planet through no fault of his own, no act of his own. You did not decide to be born. You are not reincarnated, but God brought life to you when the sperm and egg came together and you became a living being, and you're alive. And at some point in Job's journey, Job looked to the Creator, and Job said, I choose to follow you. I believe in you. It's faith. See, the Bible describes Job as a righteous blameless man, and he excelled. So at some point, if I could say, God reached out to Job through creation and then through revelation, and Job said yes. And then they began a journey together. And as you look through early in the book of Job, Job is a, is a man that's blessed immeasurably. His wife, his children. Uh, Job is wealthy. He's got camels. He's got, he's got sheep. He's got oxen. He's got money. He's got everything is going well in his life. And it's because of the blessing of the Lord. He's following God. But all of a sudden, something happens. Somehow, Satan gets a chance to go and ask God for permission to pull Job away. And said, Job's just following you because of all the good things you do. And Satan's like pulling on his shoulder. And, and then Satan begins to, to do things like destroy his camels, let someone steal his sheep, take his money. And then all of a sudden, Job does something horrible, but he sends a windstorm. The wind destroys the house and kills his kids. So now it's almost like The blessed life that was going this way stops in its tracks. And now there's something on his shoulder. But still after his kids are killed, he loses it all. He still gives praise to God. But then Satan comes back one more time and said, You take his health, he'll curse you. And all of a sudden, Job is stunted. And the rest of the book of Job is about what goes on. And if you can see my hand, what's happening, the rest of the book of Job is about this choice. Will Job pull away or will Job hang on? It is a choice. And if you read today's reading, I was amazed that Job basically said, I wish I wasn't even born. I cannot sleep at night. I'm in pain all the time. My life has no meaning whatsoever. And there's a huge question being asked, where is God? It's the question, now listen, in the book of Revelation, it's a question that's asked, and they'll put it on the screen. Those that have been martyred for the cause of Christ understand this. It says, they cried out with a loud voice, "Oh." God. Sovereign Lord, the one with all power and authority, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood? It's a great question. Why are these bad things happening? I'm telling you, a shoulder is pulling him down, a hand that he's just barely holding on to with one finger. And you'll go through that where it seems like chapter after chapter after chapter when his friends say, Job, it's your fault. His wife said, curse God and die. But now Job, like Lanell, has a choice. When I'm in the middle of things I don't like, can I still believe? And my choice can be, I still believe that God is a good God. And in spite of who's on my shoulder, who's holding me down. But all of a sudden, in the latter chapters of the book of Job, Job stands up and he blesses those that were his friends that were picking on him. And he prays for them. And then there's turnaround. And all of a sudden, it's just like that. And then the good life begins again. I might have got you to do a little hard there. Maybe out for the count. I can do it again if you need to. <laughs> but the, you're scared. But then Job, then Job, come on, then it starts getting better again. And then his marriage, his kid, he gets more children, come on, he gets twice the wealth that he had before. And this old guy never come over here one more time. Come on, the Bible says the God of peace will soon crush you underneath our feet, so you just bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just put our, 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 our foot on him. See, that's what's gonna happen one day. And one verse in the book of Revelation, and this guy's thrown into the bottomless pit. one verse. All the harassing from Genesis until Revelation, and one verse and it's over with him. But the key thing is you just have to choose to hang on to the hand of the man. Give these guys a big hand, they did a great job. That is the God who gives us confidence that he who began the good work in me, come on, will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to the book of Esther right now. I want to kind of, shift to a real-life story that happened. God's unseen hand saved the Jews under Esther and Mordecai. Let me tell you the story. We've been reading this, finished this in our Bible, God, a few days ago. The book of Esther does not mention the word G-O-D, It does not say L-O-R-D. It does not say J-E-S-U-S. But yet you see God's unseen hand behind the curtain on the pages of the book. Now let's explore this together. If you were to look on this side of the curtain as you look into the book of Esther, here's what you see. It's about 500 years before the birth of Christ. It's about 50 years after the exile is over. You remember that Israel in their sin for hundreds of years. God sends them into captivity. They've gone back there. But we find ourselves with a Persian leader. His name is King Ahasuerus. We find in the story this king has a queen that he loses, and and now he has to replace the queen And the most unlikely person in the world, a young Jewish girl, probably born in, let's say, 520 B.C. She's 20, 25 years of age. She's beautiful. She gets married to the king. So she goes literally from slavery to, to, to the place of royalty in her life. And then the vice president, the story revolves around the conflict between the vice president, Mordecai, uh, I mean Haman, and the Jews. Now this is interesting because Haman was angry because Mordecai the Jew wouldn't bow down when he walked in front of him. He recognized that to be idolatry, he wouldn't do it. Haman became so enraged, he said, not only am I going to kill you, Jew Mordecai, I'm going to kill every Jew on the planet. And the rest of the book is about how God saved, how the, how God saved the Jewish people. Now that's what's going on on this side of the screen. Where? How about the side where the unseen hand is? Let's go back before the beginning of time. In Ephesians one four, they'll put it on the screen. Here's what it says: Ephesians one four says that God chose us in Him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. Leave it up just a second. Think about this: before the world was ever created, God picked you. Hear me, Christian. You say, well, if He picked me, why do I have to choose? You need to choose His choice. Amen. But that's one of those things that kind of loses me, like those first four words of Genesis. I still have human... Hum, I still choose. God chose us before the foundation of the world because God has, wants to spend eternity with as many people as are willing to and love Him. He chose us to be in Christ, those that would respond to Him. And there's another verse that will be key in this passage. It's Proverbs 21.1. It says, the Lord can control a king's mind as He controls a river. He can direct it as He pleases. So if I could step behind the screen, here's what's going on. God has a plan and He wants to spend eternity with people forever and ever and ever. But the problem is sin is in the world and they can't relate to a holy God because of sin. They need a Savior. And behind the curtain, God has chosen that the Savior would be God, the Son, Jesus, and that He would be born as a Jew. And now we've got a problem because Haman wants to kill all the Jews. But God still has a plan. And God's plan was to include this girl named Esther. And you can understand now that the unseen hand made her beautiful. The unseen hand put her on the planet in 520. In this region where she lived, not somewhere across the world, not in the Americas, not in South America, not in Antarctica. The God of the, of the universe, the sovereign God, placed her there for such a time as that and God's plan is that he would save the Jewish people through Esther and Mordecai. Now let's read their story and the rest of the book unfolds the plan. Esther chapter 4 verse 13. We pick up the story in Esther chapter 4. Haman the vice president has already got, manipulated the king and got him to sign a law that said every Jew is going to be killed on a certain day. It's an irrevocable law. Everybody's gonna die. Esther is the queen and now Mordecai and mourning comes up. Mordecai was her cousin. He raised her because her mom and dad died somehow. We don't know how. I would suggest to you perhaps it was a part of Satan's scheme. Just like Satan tried to uh, kill all the children under Pharaoh. Why, would he, why in the world would he do that? Could it be that Satan somehow knows what's going on? Just like Herod killed all the children born around Bethlehem for two years and under. Why? Because he wanted to stop the godly line. I suggest to you the same spirit is behind abortion in the world today. Yes. Satan has a, is at work to stop the plan of God. And, and, and God has a plan and Satan wants to stop it. And people are in the middle and God's chosen by and large to use people as the solution. So Mordecai comes to Esther when this death sentence is upon the people. He said, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you're going to escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Now, why would he say that? Everybody's supposed to be killed that's Jewish, but he said, look, you're the most likely candidate, but if you don't do it, God will find somebody else to because the sovereign God's plan will always be accomplished. Come on, and nobody can stop it. And I want you to hear this today. And this is why it's so important that the church continue to support the nation of Israel. It is why. Where do you think Jesus is going to come back and put his foot? He's not putting his foot down in the World Trade Center or the UN building in New York City. Come on. He's coming back in Jerusalem and mountains are going to split. Why do you think there's such hostility against one of the smallest nations on the earth? Why do you think people have tried to kill them? So much uh, anti-Semitic remarks and all this. You realize one of the groups, or six of the groups, that the IRS tried to withhold their tax exemption process from—six of them were supporters of the nation of Israel—and your own government said we don't want to help them. Now listen, this nation is the apple of God's eye; the Savior is going to be born through them, and Haman tries to stop it, and Mordecai's look says, "Look." This next sentence is, to my opinion, one of the top three to five phrases in the entire Bible. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Now, I told you that God is not like Geppetto picking black shoes and brown shoes. I believe that's true. But there's also at the same time the sovereign God who is determining some things about your life. And he brought this girl to the kingdom for such a time as that. But yet it was not enough for God just to desire it. She had to make a choice. And then it says, uh, uh, verse 16 says, Well, look, fast for me, that is, abstain from food and pray. My maids and I will do the same. And though it's against the law, I will go to see the king. And if I die, I die. So say, what does that mean? It was against the law for anyone, including the queen, to go see the king without being asked. So she realized now for her to serve God, there was going to be a price to pay. For, her, for Job to get up and to bless his friends who'd been his enemies, there was a price to pay. It is a price for Linnell to pay. You may look, and I thought, honey, I told her, I said, look, you should have put some frowns in that video because I see some frowns at home. But she could have chosen to take her hand out of the hand of God and just ask the doctor for more Valium or... I'm well, not knocking if you take Valium. If you need some help sometimes from your friends, okay. But, but, but what I am saying is this. If you're living off Valium, come on. But somewhere in the midst of the process, she said, you know what, I'm going to try to take God with both of my hands and believe that He began the good work in me and He's going to bring it to completion. I'm going to believe that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to those that are called according to His purpose. I believe that the love of God is greater, come on, than any spiritual attack that's coming against me, so I'm going to stand strong and believe God. Remember I told you that God chooses, but we must choose His choice. We have to say yes in the process. Whether you're Job, Linnell, you or me, yes is crucial. Now, let's kind of go a little further in the story. Uh, Esther's solution, she says, I'm going to the king. And the king says, "Uh, what can I do for you, baby? And she said, I just want to fix you dinner tomorrow night. She's a smart lady. He said, okay, can Haman come too? Haman's the vice president, wants to kill her and all the Jews. Can Haman, you can see those eyelashes, can Haman come too? Huh, sure, baby, anything you want. So they get there and they have this big banquet, you know, steak, lobster, whatever, smash burgers, whatever you like. It's all there. And the king says, what do you want, doll? I'll give you whatever you want. We'll go by the diamond store. Come on, we'll stop. We'll buy a new car, a new camel, whatever you want. It's yours. And all the ladies said, yeah, I mean, it's good. And, he, and she said, honey, I don't want anything. I just want you to come back. I want to feed you again tomorrow. And that's where this next verse picks up. Now, at the same time, Haman is just kind of strutting his stuff. And he goes home and here's Mordecai the Jew who won't bow down to him. And Haman is mad. So Haman says, I'm going to build a gallows and I'm going to hang that dude tomorrow. But I've got to get permission from the king to do that. Look at the next verse. And give me about seven more minutes. Esther chapter 6, verse 1. Everybody say, on that night. On the night before Mordecai's going to get hanged, the night before Esther has the banquet, the guy can't sleep. You say, Woo, boy, what a coincidence. Wasn't he lucky? Come on now. Are you living by luck and rabbit feet and number 13, or are you living by the God who watches over you? Now, hear me in this. On that night, the king couldn't sleep. And since he didn't have a, a DVD or DVD, DVDs and DVRs, He said, bring the book of memorable deeds. In other words, (laughs) somebody read to me. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed two of the king's officers who conspired to assassinate the king. So Mordecai had done this good deed, and nothing good had happened. Have you ever done anything for God and didn't get anything back? Have you ever given any money and it didn't come back? Come on. Have you ever prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered, didn't get heard? Somebody else's did, but yours didn't. Have you ever done right at work and rather than getting promoted, you got demoted? Now, I want to tell you, God is watching and remembering. Well, the king, verse 3, the king said, What honor has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men said, Nothing. Again, accident or divine unseen hand at work? Nothing. And the king said, Who's in the court? Now, listen to this next verse. Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having hanged Mordecai on the gallows. You get the picture? The king is sitting there awake in the middle of the night. He can't sleep and he's ready to, uh, to honor this Jewish man. And Haman is ready to come in and ask permission to kill this Jewish man. Oh, what luck. No, the unseen hand, the same hand that's at work in your life. Well, verse, uh, verse 6 the king said to, uh, to Haman, well, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman, in his arrogance and blindness, said to himself, Who would the king delight to honor more than me? Wow. And the king said, Oh, what should I do? And he said, Look, why don't you go ahead and let me wear your fine outfit and put me on your horse and let somebody just walk around the city and said, This is the man the king thinks is special. And the king said, Great idea. Verse 11. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city. And then his wise men said, if Mordecai, and this is the wise man after Haman goes home with his head dragging. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall. Now why would these pagan secular people say that? That's because they had seen the unseen hand of God. Come on, that started in Egypt when Moses and the Red Sea and followed them through the wilderness and manna and water from a rock, and, and they'd heard about Joshua and the River Jordan opening up. This They've heard about this God, this unseen hand who inserts himself in time and eternity. Now, here's where the dilemma comes for us. You and I live in a microwave world, and sometimes God operates in long periods of time. Do you realize the Israelite people were in Egypt, what was it, 400 years before God brought them out? God was not intervening directly. The time between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, the silent years, there was no prophecy, there were no miracles. God was not involved. Now listen, God was still in control of the universe, but God was not directly involved in the affairs of men. And His impact was so, uh, so uh, 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 less frequently than they desired. This is what happens to many of us today in a microwave age. Because we don't see God on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. We want to pull our hand away and say, God, must not be real or true. I tell you, friend, hang in there. Well, you know what happened? goes on to say, uh, while they were talking with him, verse 14, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived, and they hurried to bring Haman to the feast. Now, you know the story. i are going to put a little picture on the screen, and I'm going to wrap up with this as Pastor Nick comes. So now we have the second banquet. And here's what I want you to see. The God who allows free choice. Picture God as Geppetto and picture Haman and the king. You remember the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. God turns it wheresoever he wills. Those strings right there, God sometimes operates to bring about his purpose in life. Here's what happened at the next banquet. They get there. It's just the king and Haman and Esther. And the king says, okay, baby, what is it? And she said, Only thing I want is for you to just make sure that God doesn't kill me. He said, kill you? Who wants to kill you? And all of a sudden, her sweet little face changed. And she pointed his finger and said, that man right there, Haman. And all of a sudden, this king has been looking at his sweet bride. And she says, this guy wants to kill me. And he gets enraged. And the king goes outside, and then the vice president realizes he's in big trouble, and he goes to Esther, and he kind of, she's apparently laying on a couch, and he gets close enough to beg for his life, and the king walks back in the room. He said, are you going to try to molest my wife in front of my eyes? And the guy right next to him said, king, we can take care of it. He built, a, he built a gallows for Mordecai, and the king said, hang him on it. So just like that, the guy who was at the top of the world was at the bottom because the God come on who's in sovereign control of everything said I've had enough get out of here Now I'm telling you God moved on the scene and the same God who moved in their life for his purpose is the same God who move in your life my message this morning to you is quite simple God is in control of everything God is in control of everything he has allowed Satan limited control in this world and we get to make choices along the way but if you will keep saying yes to God, my friend, you will see the Scripture fulfilled that said God in Thessalonians or Philippians, He began a good work in you. Come on, and God's going to bring it to completion. He did it in Esther. He did it in Linnell. He's doing it in Linnell, and He'll do it in every one of us. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Bless the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close with a worship song. And as you're worshiping the Lord, I want to just encourage you. Allow yourself to ask God this question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Thank you, Lord. Lord, with all my friends in this room today, we simply say, we want to say yes to you. We don't want to fight against you, and we don't want to quit when life gets difficult. When we get knocked down like Job, we don't want to take our hand away because we don't understand. Lord, when we're like Esther, we don't want to, be, we don't want to let fear keep us from stepping up to the plate but we simply Lord want to do our part and make the right choices and Lord in those times when we make the wrong choice, we want to quickly turn it around and get back on track in Jesus name. I want to close this way this morning i like to close with a personal opportunity for prayer. I know there's many people that are here today that God has been speaking to you through me. There's a voice within a voice and maybe there's something that you need to settle with God, maybe you need to seal with God and you feel a need to respond Maybe you're here today and, and maybe you've gotten off track with God. Hear me in this. And you wonder, could God let me start over? Could God get me back on track? I'll tell you, He can. Satan could pull you off track, but God can help you get back on track. Come on. It may not be you, it may be somebody you love and care about, and you want to pray for them. I don't know what it may be, but you may feel sometimes like life is helpless. Life's not, you know, I just I can't, I don't know what to do. Maybe you need God's reassurance. We'll pray for you. But the most important thing in this moment that we have for prayer, maybe you need to commit your life to Christ. There was a time in my life I was raised in a church like many of you, but in all honesty now as an adult with understanding, if I'd have died, I would not have gone to eternity with Christ. I just thought you were more good than bad, and that even the scales. What every person needs is they need the forgiveness of God. Every person needs that God give them a brand new start in life. Every person on the planet needs God to come and give them a brand new start we need forgiveness of sins my friends someone can pray for you today and you can commit your life to Christ So I don't know what it may be today but we're going to sing this song one last time and if you need prayer for anything this morning our prayer team is coming right now and as they're slipping up here to pray with you let me just encourage you if you feel a drawing to come to prayer don't fight it come let us pray for you come let us pray Pastor Nick go ahead and begin to sing come let us pray for you I love you very much. I'm so glad you're here. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We'll continue. I will be.